Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 135. Well, just ahead, landlords are jacking rents nationally. We'll look at the largest single-family landlord of the country and what that tells us about the true cost of inflation. And what's happened to gun sales in the year since President Biden's election? We're going to look at the raw numbers from Sportsman's Warehouse. And we'll look at how one Western power company is fighting climate change, embracing green energy, and fighting wildfires with poison. We'll talk to Ida Corp CEO, Lisa Groh. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to The Drill on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. Okay, I'm okay now. Uh, but you want to hit the uh, subscribe button. And that way, you'll just catch every single show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got the business stories behind some stocks that are moving. Joining me as always from Southern California, damp Southern California. Cold. Isaac, and cold. Yeah. Well, for, for Southern California. Executive yeah, producer Isaac know. Webster. How cold is 40s. cold? Uh, it was 42 40s. this morning. All right. All you right. know? And yesterday it was colder here than it was in Madison, Wisconsin, where I have family. So I thought that was interesting. I think uh, you're going to win that one in the long term, though. Yeah, Corey, that's true. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I want to start by looking at Lowe's, which just reported uh, recent earnings. And I thought that it told us a lot and told us a little bit a lot about Lowe's. Uh, Lowe's trades under LOW and shares have risen 55% a year. What's new with So what's going on with so, Lowe's? As I may have mentioned before, I hate business journalism. Well, let me rephrase that. I hate business journalism as often practiced. I love business journalism. And it makes me crazy the way they covered these earnings. Because all these, these quote-unquote business journalists want to extrapolate. This is what it told us about inflation. This is what it told us about supply chains. This is what it tells us about the state of the American, you know, whatever. What's really going on is a lot of things at Lowe's, with Lowe's, exclusive to Lowe's as a business. And when you leave it to these TV news anchors who want to lump this in with all this other stuff instead of talk about the details of what's happening, you don't really get the details of what's happening. You don't find out uh, the trees for the forest um, mm. There's all sorts of, of good reasons for that, like they want to connect a lot of dots, or there's bad reasons for that. They want to understaff the business journalists who are on the air and don't have the time to do the research and get experts. 
But I thought what was going on at Lowe's was really interesting. So they report Q3 earnings, comp sales up 2% over a fantastic uh, year last year, uh, 34% higher than 2019. Um, and then, of course, the, 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 all the TV business people will compare it to the estimates as if the company is trying to meet estimates instead of actually just do well. Well, the company right. did well. And the reason the company did well is a new management team that's in place for about three years or so is finding some th- ways the old management team wasn't getting things done. Specifically, they were running this to compete with Home Depot. They were running this as a big national chain. But like politics, which is all local, home, home repair is also local. And they weren't managing this for uh, a local business. Interesting comments from CEO Marvin Ellison. We can't overstate the importance of localization. Uh, and, and this is part of our total home strategy of, of elevating our product assortment. Specifically, I've given plenty of examples of where we've just had such poor assortment decisions in the past with riding lawnmowers, you know, in Brooklyn and 12 seat patio furniture in, in West Philadelphia, et cetera. Now that we have better allocation systems and a field merchandising team, we're putting the right product in the right stores, and it allows us to minimize markdowns coming out of the season. And our price management system gives us, you know, tools that we've never had before. You know, three and a half years ago, we had the same price and cost model in Brooklyn as we had in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, and, and obviously, that's not the way you run a national business with stores in a lot of different locations. Now we have the ability to do market-based pricing store skew combination pricing that gives us a lot of leverage and flexibility we didn't have three years ago. We didn't have candidly 18 months ago, and that's only going to get better. So a combination of all of those things give us those levers that if we don't get the top line based on macro environment, we still have leverage to, to drive operating uh, margin improvement. So again, it's local. You can't be selling riding lawnmowers in Brooklyn. Right. You lived in Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn. Yeah. You've we have no need for a riding lawnmower. No. no. <laughs> you know who needs a riding lawnmower? <sighs> George Jones. Yeah. Do you know the story about George no, Jones? I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, uh, George Jones, the, the uh, country legend, um, uh, w- at one point had such a bad alcohol problem, was not allowed to drive anymore, that he just hijacked a riding lawnmower to ride to the local bar <laughs> and was pulled over for a DWI. Oh my God! Well, in so my Lowe's, teen, in my teenage years, I I could relate to that growing up. Well, grew up. in any case, in Lowe's don't <laughs> sell the riding lawnmowers to George Jones, and don't sell the riding lawnmowers in Brooklyn. The business will do better. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Invitation Homes, a company I don't think we've discussed on the show before. Yeah, I don't think we have Invitation Homes trades under I N V H. And INVH shares have risen 45% over the past 12 months. Yeah, so Invitation Homes is the giant in in leasing and operating single-family homes. Um, They've got houses that they rent out, 80,000, more than 80,000, 16 markets across the country. They are, you know, if you want to know what's going on with single-family home leasing, this is the place you look. And these guys are just having a fantastic time of things right now. And I thought it was interesting to look at this company when we look at the most important issue facing our economy right now, that being inflation and how the economy is recovering from COVID, uh, even as we you know, go through yet another surge of COVID infections in the country. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the, and, I, and pardon me for the listeners from my old Bloomberg radio show, used to hear me go off on this topic every once in a while. But one of the biggest parts of uh, the rent 
core CPI, uh, core inflation measurement um, from the government is this thing called owner equivalence rent. And that the question is, well, let me, Isaac, you are- Owner equivalence rent. Yes. So okay. you own a home. Yes. Let me ask you, Isaac, mm-hmm. if you had to rent out your home, do you have any idea what the rent should be? I know what it needs to be. <laughs> so if but you no, I don't know. Husband, how would you calculate? I'm not sure I could, I mean, I'd have to Google around Redfin or something. You don't know. And yet, no 30% of the core CPI calculation is based on an owner equivalent rent survey, which is they call a bunch of homeowners okay. and they say, how much do you think your house could rent for now? And then they compare that to the answers they got the previous month. Really? Yes. That's Who how they came calculate. up with that? Good question. I mean, I get the point that it's hard to figure. If you only look at the new rents, you don't Uh get a sense of what rent costs. You just get a sense of what new rents cost. Uh But this owner equivalence thing is seems so. I mean, I've you know, I don't have the faintest idea, and I study these things. Well, you're going to inflate the price. I mean, the the homeowner is going. Why wouldn't you? Well, no, if if you don't know, if you're trying to come up with the honest answer, what does it cost to rent a house in your neighborhood? You don't know because you don't rent a house in your neighborhood. No, but you would definitely want to make sure that you uh, give a high enough number where you're you're going to make money on the deal. No, no, you're just being asked to survey. You get okay. no chance to make money. You just want to get the accurate number. But that's just the point. They don't. They. Uh, it, it's reasonable to say that maybe this is understated. So if you look at the actual numbers of rent and how much rent is going up, mm-hmm. then you start to get a sense of what uh, that is in in the in in the, in the rental in the apartment rental housing rental business. There's actually a a calculation. They call it loss to lease. Okay. So they know if you could rent a house out for $3,000 a month and you're renting it out for $2,000 a month, you have a monthly loss to lease of $1,000. The, what is to say the rent you're taking is losing $1,000 in opportunity value if it was a, it was a freshly opened house. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what are new leases? Are you know If core CPI is at, call it 6.8%, or 5%, or CPI, sorry, CPI was 6.8%, core CPI was 4.9% in the most recent um, uh, monthly figure. So if, let's call it 5.5%. If core CPI is 5.5%, or core CPI is 5%, call it, um, what is rent going up if that's a third of that figure? Well, it turns out these guys uh, at Invitation Homes are seeing double-digit rent increases across hmm. the board, across the country. And whenever they can get an empty place, an empty house, they're able to jack the rent somewhere right around 15%. Wow. Regardless of markets. So the overall fundamentals across the country, now they are 98% occupancy. They are renting, renting everything they can, and they're not able to get a lot of new stuff, but they're seeing high to mid-teens in increases. Um, and they're also not seeing the seasonality. They used to do most of their new rentals in the summer. They're seeing anytime they get an empty house, they can fill it. Um, listen to CEO or COO, I should say, of Invitation Homes, Charles Young. When we look at overall uh, leasing fundamentals and you ask whether it's the new normal, um, you know, we're in a really healthy position. You, you called it. We're at 98 percent occupancy. We've been there all year. Uh, demand is really high for our well-located homes. Uh, and, you know, how long will this last? We'll see. The last uh, uh, question and conversation was around our embedded a loss to lease. And I think that gives us a good opportunity on the renewal side um, to keep that uh, as high as it's been. We've been accelerating on the renewal side since last summer. Every quarter has has been going up, which is really healthy. And we're seeing that actually go into Q4 as well. 
the new lease side, we're still kind of in that mid to high teens. Uh, we're not seeing typical seasonality. Um, so it's hard to predict how long it's going to last, but we're in a really healthy position and set up well to go into 2022. So there you have it. Uh, mid to high teens increases in rents for empty places, suggesting uh, that inflation as as people are actually experiencing it is higher than the numbers coming from the government. Yeah, I, I hate to say it, but good good for homeowners who are trying to rent their homes, I guess. Good for invitation homes. Yeah. Corey, what's your next drill down? It's a good sportsman's warehouse company we've talked about a few times in the past. I thought it was good to take a look at this thing because the stock has absolutely collapsed in the last uh, couple of months. Yeah, and they always give us a unique uh, insight to the country, what's going on. And Sportsman Warehouse trades under SPWH and shares have fallen over 3% in a year. But you were mentioning those quarterly numbers. Yeah, I mean, in December, the stock was trading at 18 and now it's trading at uh, 11 and change. Uh, Why? Because uh, a merger they had announced fell apart. They were to be acquired by the private equity firm that owns Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops. Um, And... Uh, the deal fell apart uh, with concerns about the government about putting all, all, all these businesses under a singular owner, uh, not least of which all these gun sales under a singular owner. So mm-hmm. um, the company came out, this company has become uh, an, an important, we don't know the, uh, the market share of gun sales for these guys, given all the d- disparate places guns are sold uh, in the country. But with a little bit of a pullback from Walmart, from Dick's Sporting Goods and others over the course of the last, call it five years, uh, of selling guns from big chain stores, uh, these guys have swooped in there and picked up a lot of market share. And one of the ways they see this is they compare the increase in firearm sales that they've had compared to how many background checks are happening. Um, but uh, before I get too far ahead of the game here, uh, specifically in their most recent conference call, despite the fact that the stock has sold off a lot, the answer is gun sales are up and they are up huge over last year. Now, remember a year ago, there was this concern the polls showed that Biden was going to win overwhelmingly. In fact, it was, it was by about, what, seven, nine million votes, somewhere in there. But um, the polls showed there was going to be this huge sweep. Trump was going to get swept out of office. There was uh, protests in the streets. Uh, in, in isolated cases, there were riots. People were certainly scared, and people were buying guns. And indeed, uh, that was where we were a year ago. But here we are a year later. We don't see the protests in the streets. We don't see new gun control laws coming. We don't see uh, um, Hillary Clinton coming to get your guns, or whatever the fear was uh, espoused by some um, people in the political sphere. And yet, these guys saw incredible increase in sales. Again, forget the fact that the stock has gone from 18 to 11. Net sales for this company were up 60% over last year. Same store sales up 41% versus the third quarter of the prior year. Um, Same store sales for ammo up 53%. Same store sales for firearms up 98%. America. Wow. And what does it tell us about um, uh, uh, where they are market share-wise? Well, uh, the NICS, which is the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, or NICS, that's a, a government number that gets that comes out. We find how many, how many people are applying and tr- for background checks. That was up 57%. So if they were holding market share, they'd be up 57% or somewhere in there, assuming most of those people get approved with their background checks. If they doesn't everyone get approved share, in the U.S.? Um, I think you have to be approved should uh, be approved, you know, those <laughs> getting approved. Um, and so uh, sorry to laugh about that. Laugh or else you're cr- going to cry again. 134 percent increase in sales with 57 percent increase in Nick's. Uh, this company is doing really well at growing market share. 
and capitalizing on, well, specifically, they said, I'll direct, direct quote from the conference call, they said, uh, the election cycle and social unrest resulted in very favorable financial results. Here's CEO John Barker. The flow on all of our shooting sports, uh, both uh, firearms and ammunition, is still solid, but demand is exceeding. And I think we mentioned we did 134% growth in units in Q3 of firearms as a company. That's all units, all stores. Um, and next, we're up 57 so it's clearly an indicator of just looking at the math high level. Demand is still outstripping production. Uh, we are gaining market share through a, you know, our, our position in the industry, the relationships we have, and our ability to forecast and procure goods. Um, and I see a shortage of firearms and ammunition continuing for at least a few more months, Ryan. Again, I don't have a crystal ball, but it looks to me like we've got a couple more months before um, the supply chain could get back into to a normal uh, state. So it's unclear to me what he's talking about supply chain. Is it because all of the gun manufacturers are saying they're making as much as they possibly can? Maybe a few couple more months. Uh, we'll see. But the demand is certainly uh, going crazy uh, in the gun business and sportsman's warehouse. The sales are benefiting. The stock isn't, but boy, the sales uh, and profits of the company sure are. All right, coming up next, a really interesting interview uh, with a company called Ida Corp. They are the people behind Idaho Power, CEO Lisa Grow, talking about where this company sits and the things that they've done both to contribute to climate change and now to help remediate climate change with hydroelectric, with other things that they're doing, and also trying to fight fires with poison out in the field, literally out in the field. We'll have the story of Ida Corp with CEO Lisa Grow when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we have the CEO of ID Corp, Lisa Grow, otherwise known as Idaho Power. But you know, you guys don't call it Idaho Power anymore. Well, we do. Um, Idaho Power is the largest subsidiary of Idacor. So, yeah. so Idacor is the holding company, and we have a couple of other subsidiaries. But Idaho Power is is pretty much the uh, the largest subsidiary. As I was preparing for this interview and reading through your uh, your filings and looking at your, I was thinking, I can't think of a worse job than running a power company right now. It, no, I mean, honestly, it's, it's. I feel exactly the opposite. It is, and I'm not just saying it to in a you know to to try and make a statement. Yeah. That, um, but it is my greatest honor. It is. It is such a fascinating time to be in our business, and you know, there's there's we're we're having record growth. There's a pandemic. We've got, you know, supply chain issues. We've got a, you know, climate change. We, it, there's, there's so much technology that is um, uh, becoming available and, and becoming more and more critical. Customers are asking for, for things um, to be done differently. And so, you know, I'm an engineer by training. So I like big, sticky, messy problems to solve. And you, so, you, well, you, you got go. it. And, and, yeah. and I don't even know where to start because- Yes, you've got climate change, right? So that means you've got more demand and power. You've got um, uh, worse droughts, 
Yep. That's, that's not the right way to say it. Uh, you've got the droughts are worse than ever, which affects your ability to generate hydroelectric power, which is your principal source of power. Um, right. You've got um, a record demand, um, some of it driven by record heat, which is in additional air conditioning, but you've also just got record demand for power. Um, you've got climate change, which is which is making coal a less attractive um, uh, source of power, your second largest source of power, even in a, when you guys are so close to some of the greatest coal assets in the world in the Powder River Basin, and it right. should be super cheap for you to get. Um, so let's let's start with hydroelectric. Well, uh, that's a huge part of your, um, you know, probably about twenty percent of the, of the source of the re- of the power that you guys generate. Actually, it's greater than that. It's it's fifty to sixty percent. Oh, is that is that much now? Okay, well yeah. now I know. It depends um, on so, the day. I mean, or the year certainly, but um, but it you know when when water is good, we we are above sixty percent, and and on average about fifty percent. Okay, so, so uh, where does that stand in terms of your ability to use that resource from the Snake River and um uh and growing that or relying on that? So um, to just kind of go back in time, you know, th- these have been the, our crown jewels um, in our in our generation fleet for you know 100 years, and and so we we it's very um, inexpensive. It is or relatively um, uh, less expensive than others. Um, it is clean. It is really flexible. And so it has all of the attributes that have really helped um, be the foundation of our success for both our customers. flexible. It means you can move them really quickly. They can respond to uh, within seconds where other resources like coal, you know, because it's, it's got so much heat involved, you have to be careful how quickly you move it up and down um, so that you don't cause damage to the equipment. So with a hydro, um, Asset, you just you just open the wicket gates. You let a little more water in, or you close them off, and and um, and you can you can change generation Adjust your levels. need, yeah. And which is super important too when you think about um, today. We we have a lot of in, uh, intermittent resources on our system, whether it's solar or wind, um, and you know they don't behave uh, in in a very predictable way. And so you've got to have something able to move quickly. So when the wind dies off or a cloud uh, comes in and, and solar drops off or wind drops off, you've got to ramp something up quickly. And so hydro is really, really, um, well suited for that. So, so we, um, you know, we can also be smart about how we run the water in the river, where we can hold it back waiting for, you know, Generally, in the afternoon on a summer day, uh, solar starts to tail off about four o'clock, but our peak hits at, at between six and eight p.m. And so we can ramp hydro up quickly and and keep our system reliable and affordable and clean. So so it's a really uh, critical part of our of our portfolio for all those reasons. But to your point, um, we do see bigger fluctuations in. Um, how much water we get uh, from, um, and really the form in which it comes. We like it when we get lots of snow in the mountains and we can essentially, that's storage for us. And we like to store it in the mountains, but um, with warmer winters, we will get, you know, same amount of water, but it comes in the form of rain. So sometimes we have to adjust our, our operations to uh, sort of adapt to whatever form the water comes in. So it's things like that, that we've been very adaptable um, we, we also, an interesting thing for us is we do weather modification as well. 
So when we have a storm that's coming in, we have all the weather data um, that's available. We're watching carefully for storms that have the right criteria. And then we actually do both ground generator and airplane-based um, cloud seeding so that we can try to get more out of the storms as they as they come through. So, the, you know, another example of sort of adaptability. Wow. See, I just rely on prayer and it's, 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 well, it's working we generally, to. but specifically it doesn't really help me with the rain. So, <laughs> you know, we do snow dances. I'm not going to lie. They <laughs> work. There we go. Um, talk to me about the transition uh, away from coal and what you're doing there and, and, and the pace at which that's changed over the last, you know, even preceding your, your running the company the last 10 years or so. Yeah, that's been really interesting because, you know, we at, at, there was a point in history where we were 100 um, percent hydro. And then, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s, coal became that that really affordable, um, plentiful resource. And 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 then, you know, we're seeing the impacts of of releasing carbon into the atmosphere and and climate change. And so now we're watching what was a really stable baseload resource that was relatively inexpensive become more expensive. And and it's been a combination of climate change and just the fact that with the proliferation of all of the renewable resources in the Pacific Northwest, that has, you know, it's basic market economics. You, you have way more supply than you need and, and not the, the, you know, always having the demand to, to consume all of it as it's made. So you watch the price go down, just more supply than demand. You, you tend to see prices go down. So market prices are cheaper than running our coal. So it's been economics that has, has driven some of our decisions um, and it's a risk-based approach too, that we see that, you know, it's going to become more and more risky and expensive to, to run coal plants. And so we, we adapted and adopted our, our plan to, uh, with our partners to, to get out of, uh, remove coal from our portfolios. But your point of the pace at which we do that is really important because we have to maintain reliability and uh, resilience and affordability so that we don't become or have a situation like Texas um, where um, you know, the, the, the invisible hand of the market doesn't necessarily work great with electricity because those signals are, are you know, too short in duration for people to right. make the, the investments that need to be the, made. The economy is changing faster than, than the, the physical infrastructure can, can adapt. Right. And, and, the, and the, in the sort of economic signals for people to take certain actions don't work so well, um, where I think our model of the regulated uh, monopoly, where we, we are incented for that long haul so we can make those longer term investments. So we want to make sure that we do everything that in a way that doesn't cause problems with reliability, because, again, nobody cares how cheap it is or how clean it is if it's not reliable. We, you see what happens when when it doesn't work. Uh, we need to make sure that people can afford it. And, and we want to make sure that we're on a path to clean. So the, the timing of it, we've already got out of one, actually two units. Um, the first unit was our Balmy unit in Nevada. We are 50% owners of two units. So one unit has been shut down. Another unit at uh, board in Boardman, Oregon, we were only 10% owners there, but that one has been shut down. And we are working um, right now with regulators to have the uh, figure out the time for um, our Jim Bridger power plant over in Wyoming. Right. The second unit at Balmy is already scheduled for a 2025 um, um, shutdown. Now, 
all of our regulators, we've made it clear with them that the timing may have to change because, for example, the record growth that we have seen over the past couple of years, um, you know, we accelerated during COVID. Not, not you know, our 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 load. Well, did not we certainly saw a lot of people move to Boise in particular, uh, but through you know, Idaho's population increased dramatically last year. Yeah. Is that is that a, is that the biggest change in the demand for power? I, I absolutely that and the heat um, combined yeah. certainly for for um, this year. But yeah, it, it it is it just the businesses and the and the and the people that are coming here. Um, it's it is record. Uh, amounts of of growth, and we're seeing really large companies that want to want to site here, and and so you know it's it's sort of mind boggling. So we're looking at things, for example, at in, at the Bridger Power Plant, our partner Pacific Core announced that they're looking at at converting coal to gas as that sort of next step because it's relatively inexpensive to do so. Right. It reduces the the carbon emissions and other pollutants. And it can be a bridge to get to where we need to go. So we want to be really smart. It, you can't just go out and build a bajillion gigawatts of, of wind and solar to get where we need to go. I think hydrogen is another really interesting um, opportunity where we could reuse the, the assets and the infrastructure right. we've already built. Um, and, and, and it would be clean. So we're watching that very carefully, um, you know, long-term uh, or, uh, storage is a huge part of, of the, the equation, it, you know, if that can help um, smooth out some of the intermittency of, of those resources. And, and, you know, we don't really have an option to, uh, to do more hydro. We certainly have, have invested in any sort of efficiency gains we can in all of our units, which is, you know, been tens of megawatts anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so things like that, as we're watching, how do we, how, how do we grow and shut down baseload resources and clean up our portfolio all at the same time? And um, we've got a lot of great, smart people. We're engaging the public and our customers in that, um, in that uh, work in our integrated resource plan. And so um, you know, we don't know exactly how we get there to the end, but we're working towards it. And then you have fires. Yeah, <laughs> that is more fun. There, there, there's a notion that um, you know I'm, I'm in Northern California. Uh, the the, the uh, PG&E's maintenance of its um, uh, rural power lines, of course, has, has led to a lot of fires and and a lot of tragedy in the in this part of the state and the in the, the world um, yeah, has been affected. But it, it's there's an interesting notion that to me that that the long term assets of a company uh, in a power business could actually be a liability. And then when you look at the balance sheet, it may be turned upside down and the value to equity holders and so on is not so interesting to me and, and you know, for the purposes of this podcast. But but it is interesting to me that the note that the assets that you have are actually risks, not just uh, book value that you can borrow against. Does does that change the way the notion that your um, uh, your long term assets are actually really risky to own um, how, how you run the yeah. business? I think it's more about how do you mitigate the risk? And, and we've done some really interesting things on how we uh, prevent and then how do we um, how do we mitigate? Um, and so things like just vegetation management is huge. So so this is not a new problem. Right. I mean, there are our. our well, equipment has has it is an, it's, it's not it's not fire. Fire has been around for a few years, I think. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, much older than you, sure. so I remember fire. I was there when they first first invented it, but uh, I was right next to you. Yeah, well, and and uh, 
but the the pace of these fires and the risks of these fires has dramatically changed because that of climate true. change. That is true. So so we have been working though, it, always trying to reduce our impact. And so, for example, in Idaho, we are allowed to use a sterilant around our poles, and we do it in a twenty foot circle. And it's a it's a, a you know I think it lasts ten or twenty years that so that nothing can grow in that. And and it does two oh. things. One, it protects the the pole itself. Should fire start by another cause, lightning, mostly human caused, um, come to find out. But um, it, so that protects our equipment. The other thing is, if should something happen on our equipment and, and a spark is dropped down, it doesn't start it. There's no fuel. And so it doesn't start a fire. So that has been hugely successful. We have so many, um, uh, so much data that shows that that really works. The other thing that we do, of course, is just tree trimming, especially in those areas of high risk. We have gone and mapped out those areas, um, generally where it is the urban uh, wildland interface is, is an area where um, we, we are really focused. Um, and so, and we're working on things like fuses that don't emit sparks um, when, uh, when they operate. We work on, you know, making sure that our, our equipment, um, you know, no one's driving over dry grass. If, if someone is smoking, they've got a can to put it in um, uh, sand to, to extinguish it. So we, we do everything that we can think of to not be the source, whether it's the equipment itself or, or us. As, as individuals. And so you know, we are really focused on this. I think other things, um, you know, partnering with BLM, partnering with the, the other, the fire um, departments that, uh, so they can partner with us. We've had situations where, you know, we go out with our equipment, we have water trucks and we know what to do. Um, we've been stopped. And when people would say, no, nobody can come in here and we've just watched things burn down. So we've been trying to make sure that we are really good partners um, but to your question, is it is there a, is there more risk now? There absolutely is. The thing is that you know there is no clean future without transmission. There just isn't. The notion that everyone's just going to have solar panels on their roof and then somehow it all balances out and there's no wires needed um, that that future doesn't exist yet. I don't know what the resource would be to get there, but the balancing that is required and the wires are really the only thing that does it. So, so we really have to, as an industry and a society, is work together on how do we lower those uh, the risks of, of fires. And, and I think there's some really good work uh, certainly, we're watching Pacific Gas and Electric and Patty Poppy and her leadership on where do you, where does it make a, a sense to underground um, the the assets and you know and, and what else can we do in terms of technology? There's a lot of satellite imagery. There's a lot of things yeah. that people are doing for detect early detection, drones that carry water. I mean, there's there's so much um, work that's being done to this end. But it started with everyone recognizing that we've got a big problem that we got to solve. Well, you got enough of them. I'll let you get to them. <laughs> Lisa Grow is the CEO of IDACOR, uh, and we're glad to have you on the show. When the drill down continues, we'll have that one bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot, the drill down bite, right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on your favorite smart speaker by asking that smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. 
And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, how much do you think this, over a five-year period, any wild guess on how much they spend at Idaho Power on fire mitigation? Wow. In five years? Yeah. Um, I would guess $10 million. It is not $10 million. Um, what is it? It's $82 million. Wow. Yeah, between wow. uh, uh, between maintenance and CapEx changes, they've they've put an $82 million price tag on what they're spending over the course of five years because of fire for fire mitigation. And those are indeed, those are new risks for this company. Um, you know, uh, in, in it's it's just remarkable what they've done and what they have to do. Um, and it's also worth noting that this, this is a company that does, uh, in 2020, they had $230 million in income. Um, and uh, yeah, 82 of that goes right back out the door to fight fires over the course of five years, or it's about $20.5 million a year. Uh, just to um, deal with fire mitigation. Wow. Just imagine what they could do with that money in other places if they didn't have to have that well, manage I mean, that risk. To her point, the, the risk was probably always there, but it's it's significantly higher because of uh, because of the the droughts, because of the the vegetation growth that comes from ex- excessive rain when that happens. it's it's an interesting, interesting. Like I said, probably the worst job I can imagine running a regulated utility right now. Um, good on her. What an interesting conversation uh, with Lisa Girl in Idacor. Yeah. All right, you've been listening to Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Drill Down.